Hi, I'm Sonny Alvestias, CTO in the gaming industry. Welcome to my podcast, aimed at software engineers, programmers, and computer scientists. In every episode, I put one of the best engineers working behind the scenes in the spotlight. All right. Thank you, everybody, uh, for listening to us today. I have the pleasure today to welcome Sebastian Mandala, the CTO of FreeJam, and is also the author of the ECS framework named Sveldo ECS. So uh, I'm glad to meet you uh, today, Sebastian. Yeah, nice to meet you too. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good. Could you give us an introduction of yourself and maybe uh, you could tell us about your, your, your past, your background, like uh, what brought you into uh, software engineering and, and game development? Sure, I'm um, a little bit of a classic story of uh, old guard developer started to code when I was very young with my Commodore 128. But then I started uh, to get into coding seriously in the college. When I was in the college in Italy, we don't have the concept of college. It's sort of five years high school where you can specialize, and I specialized in uh, computer science. Uh, so there is where I started to work uh, more seriously on what has been always my passion, which is video games. I never, I never did anything else in my life. I started professionally in uh, 1999. And uh, then I formed my first company a couple of years later, and we published um, two titles for Game Boy Color, which uh, were interesting because of the technology we were using. One is called The Fish File. The other one was based on the New Adams family. Anyway, then many years passed. <laughs> and at a given point, I moved to the UK. And I have been in the UK for more than 10 years now, so it looks like I'm stuck here. <laughs> I never lost my Italian accent. That's something I will keep with me forever. Are you looking to go back to Italy? No, probably at this point it would be only when I retire, actually. I don't think it will happen before, unless, unless it may happen that we may decide to open a branch in Italy with this Brexit thing. We, you, we can never know what's going to happen. So, <laughs> but. Of course, I'm joking at the moment. Not even a dream, but you never know what happens in the future. So, Right. Can I ask you precisely what brought you to UK? Was it like an opportunity or anything specific related to game development? Uh, before I moved to the UK, I used to move uh, every two years. Uh, I've been uh, in several places in Italy, but uh, also in Netherlands, where I worked for a couple of years. And then uh, while I was moving, I mean, yes, it's a, it's basically new offers. At a given point, I basically found out, no, uh, understood that England is uh, in Europe, probably the only place where the game development can become a career. So I decided to move here. And then uh, I, I was not planning to stay in Portsmouth for 11 years to to be honest with you, but things happen. And then I never moved from Portsmouth. So not only in England for 12 years, but never moved from Portsmouth either. I see. And how is Portsmouth? Portsmouth is very nice because it's on the sea. It's quite sunny to be an English uh, uh, city. 
So the, I got uh, accustomed to the weather. Even today, it's quite nice, actually. I and my wife like uh, Portsmouth too very much. We, I never, uh, I mean, the job keeps me interested as well. So, yes, it's fine. Okay, good. All right, so uh, maybe let's dig into uh, some more technical uh, stuff. So uh, I found that your blog from, if someone like reads it chronologically, will really see your thought process. And I really enjoyed that, seeing that you were really trying to find the solutions and correct me if I say something that is maybe wrong, but uh, one of the problems you were trying to resolve was like how to have something that is easy to welcome engineers on the project and also be able to maintain the code in a proper way so that even the juniors cannot break everything and the code is maintainable and easy to understand and such. So yes, I really see your thought of process like coming from something that was, was based on a dependency injection, right? And you slowly came to something which is now is Velto ECS, so backed by ECS and data-oriented design. So could you maybe just, again, sum up again this uh, experience? Yeah, keep it simple. My train of thought actually started from uh, the necessity to develop a game as a service. Games as a service are different than games that you ship once and you forget, right? I've seen in my career people developing code for the for a game that the ship wants, and at a given point the 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 code base starts to deteriorate and the technical debt to pile up, and the producer may decide to not care much about it because they know that once the game is shipped, it will be shipped once forever. Now this is less true. Because with all the DLC and expansions that happens over the, the time, actually you needed to maintain the code or even for pay upfront uh, titles. But from for game as a service like free to play games, maintainability is much more important because you need to work uh, on the same code base for many years. There are games that have been online. I don't know, even for a decade, Robocraft, the game I worked on, has been uh, still alive, it's still online. I mean, it's in a sunsetting phase, but we still have like 900 CCU. But back in the days, uh, we had like 20,000 CCU, and uh, we released it in, uh, I think, 2013. So... It's true that we don't develop Robocraft for a couple of years, but uh, for at least five years, we have been iterating over it uh, ferociously because the game design was evolving all the time. We were iterating uh, from users' feedback all the time. So, Plus, we had multiple versions because we had the version for Xbox, the version for Tencent, which uh, we never released eventually because of some problems. But anyway, this necessary necessity to keep the code maintainable made me spend many years researching problems related to code design, especially in our situation where our team was mainly formed by juniors. And that has its own challenges to make junior coders develop 
code that uh, eventually just doesn't crumble, right? Anyway, in my uh, research studies, I basically find out the, the biggest problem in object-oriented programming is the communication between uh, objects. So as long as uh, an object is totally encapsulated, so the behavior of the object is encapsulated within the object itself, object-oriented programming is perfect. But in the moment, and that's of course always necessary, objects need to communicate between each other. In my opinion, object-oriented programming starts to uh, break, to to have a hard time to solve this. That's also the reason why there are so many patterns uh, that try to solve uh, different uh, flavors of communication problems. Not one pattern is good for all the occasions, right? But then when I started to, to study all these patterns, all these solutions, uh, sometimes uh, presented in a very complicated way when they did not need to be so complicated, I tried, I tried to get to the core of the issue, right? Because I needed to dig down to the foundation of the issue. Because back in the days, it was not so clear for me what the problem actually was, right? And why the code tended always to explode and to get a different direction to not have uh, a common uh, way to solve the problems, right? So that, that's where I started to, to study and understand the solid principle. And once I actually understood, the, the, I mean, the solid principle made me see these problems in, under a different point of view, which was much simpler for me to understand, much clearer for me to understand. I said, okay, if we try to simplify as much as possible what these patterns try to do, and what they try to do is to solve the problem of dependency injection. Because when objects uh, needed to communicate uh, between each other, they basically needed to know each other somehow. Now, you can solve this in many ways with object-oriented programming, but the simplest way is literally to let an object know another object through an interface, not through an implementation of the object itself. Actually, one of the simplest way which is adopted by many game developers to let objects communicate between each other is the singleton pattern. The simplest way to solve the dependency injection problem, to let another object know another object, which is the singleton in this case. Or the singleton act as a mediator to let an object know a pool of other objects. In any case, that's what a singleton is. So I started to use in 2012 uh, a dependency injection container. So, by the way, many people confuse uh, the principle. It's called the dep dependency injection, the practice, not the principle, which is dependency injection with the tool that helps uh, to uh, solve the dependency injection problem, which is called instead dependency injection container or inversion of control container. But they're actually two separate things. In fact, after a few years using a dependency injection container we, that I wrote myself, it was called the Sverto IOC, I decided to not use it anymore because I found out eventually that if you don't use as an inversion of control container with the, the actual inversion of control principle in mind, you do more damage than good. 
in, in the case, the inversion control container acts as a singleton. Again, I will not go further in the details because it will take too long. But people who used an inversion control container must know what I'm talking about. Because one a classic result of using an inversion of control container without IOC in mind was to have objects knowing dozens of dependencies. <laughs> when an object knows a dozen dependencies, it's spaghetti code all over again, because everything knows everything, right? So at that point, I said, look, it's better to not use a tool anymore, just do dependency injection manually, because in the process to inject dependency by constructor, at least a developer can feel there is something wrong, because if you de- inject 12 dependencies by constructor, you felt dirty, right? You, don't, you felt like there is, there is something very wrong going on. Anyway, when you start to use inversion control properly, you end up actually not using dependency injection anymore. I, I mean, I, this has become complicated again to, to explain properly what inversion control is. But some people call it like uh, the Hollywood principle, I think, where they say in, in Hollywood, it's not the actor that uh, called the agencies, the producer that called the actor. So say, uh, don't call us, we will call you. <laughs> and the reason why it's called in this way is because the framework, let's call it framework at the moment without going to details, uh, should take control of the uh, application objects. It's not the application objects that should instead uh, use directly the framework. If the application objects use directly the framework, there is no inversion of control. And that's what uh, caused all the problems, right? F- the problem is the framework is too generic as a, as a term. What is framework? Framework is something uh, usually that's very high level. Uh, however, take care of uh, very specific problems only, like for example, for example rendering framework, right? But in reality, at the time, then I found out that this, like, uh, in reality, there is a gradient. I mean, everything can be a framework as long as it's more abstracted than the layer below. It's more specialized instead. Again, maybe this is not clear what I'm trying to say to us because it's a complicated topic. I will, I'm trying to explain it in my articles. But the trick is the abstract layer, the framework layer, uh, should provide the behavior that defines the abstract, the abstract concept like uh, rendering, okay? And uh, the object or components, it's better say, allow more specialized object to enable the rendering behavior, okay? So back in the days, one way to do this uh, was to have uh, a way to register your object in a rendering layer. The rendering layer did not know your object anymore directly, but knew your object just through the rendering component. So you used to register 50 objects in the rendering layer. The rendering, this, those objects could be completely different for the application, but they had in common the rendering component. For the rendering layer, the framework layer, the, the, the framework layer did not know the implementation of these objects. Uh, I could not care less, but the rendering layer now knows that uh, it needs to render 50 objects. 
So when the rendering layer ticks somehow, it will ju be just instructed to render uh, 50 objects. So the rendering layer framework now is in control of these ob specialized objects. So this is what the inversion of control is about. It's in reality called the inversion of flow control because there is a difference with the inversion of creation control. And the inversion of creation control is just about the fact that uh, your code should never create an object. The object is always created in the composition root. The, com the concept of composition root is another very important concept for uh, this discussion, but I'm not, I will not go into details because I'm already talking a lot. <laughs> and anyway, when I started to put all these pieces together, I said, okay, but this manager that now 50 objects through the rendering component, I mean, this, the fact that it rates in a, in a very tight loop 50 objects, and to me, it sounds like ACS, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I'd never used ACS before that time, but I knew just the basic principle of ACS. And the fact that you have a system that uh, can describe whatever behavior as abstracted as, or as specialized as you want. And this system now entities only through the component uh, the system is actually interested in is what inversion control is about. So, okay, as I said, I don't need to research further. The solution I'm looking for is this, yes. In fact, eventually, everything over the years proved to be true. Do not use object-oriented programming anymore. Very rare, super rare for me to inherit an object from another object. It's yes, of course, pushes composition over inheritance. But I do not uh, inject dependencies anymore because uh, now it's not anymore about objects that need to know their object. It's about systems that need to know the data of entities. So for me, it was the most elegant way to solve the communication problem. And I think that is it, because eventually everything proves to be true. I mean, there, there, I had many doubts over the years, but all those doubts were always cleared, whatever application I was uh, trying to do. And this, yes, uh, can be applied in many, many aspects of game development, even the one that you think uh, they should not be applied. For example, for me, making a GUI with the CS sounds natural. If you know what the model view controller is, and the, all the evolutions of the model view controller. And basically, model view controller is like to say component uh, entity, more or less, system. The system is the controller, uh, the component is the data. Uh, the view, it depends upon the implementation of the GUI, but it's basically how you present the entity. So for me, the parallel is quite obvious, right? So when you you come around ECS, I mean, specifically at that time, was there any uh, already any literature? Uh, like, did you find precisely about ECS or what was the status about ECS in the industry at that time? I actually do not remember where I started from, but very likely, I, absolutely, I started from the Adam Martin articles. Because Adam Martin is the guy who actually formalized ECS as we know it. And then maybe I watched some YouTube videos, I guess, to see, to put together some missing pieces. But 
in reality, after the very first version of Svelto ECS, which was very naive, actually, now you made me think about it, uh, maybe the very first implementation of ECS I saw was Ash, I think it was called Ash, it was an action script. ECS was pretty famous back in the days. But anyway, all this stuff was giving me ideas. I think uh, Svelto ECS one, one was actually using some terminology from Ash ECS. If I remember correctly, the name was called Dash. I may be wrong, though. But then, uh, after the initial test, I started to study, to study uh, data-oriented design. Because, of course, every time I was uh, reading something about ECS, there was uh, also this data-oriented design thing. But now, many people think there is a strong relationship between ECS and uh, uh, DoD. In reality, they can be as... Uh, separate concept as you want, <laughs> because ECS is just a way to write code, but you can write the code uh, with objects or with structs. If you uh, write them with objects, so your components are, for example, objects, it's not that oriented anymore. So when I started to put again all these pieces together, I moved uh, to the ECS uh, that we know to be very fast, very per, uh, performant, because uh, all uh, the cash uh, benefits. But that's the reason, uh, the reason why I always write in my article that for me performance is a consequence. It's not the reason why I use ECS. In fact, I really don't like the people that market ECS as an optimization tool. Because in reality, if you think about it, there are very few games that need the kind of raw power. Not many games have so many entities that you need to iterate on. Right. So if, if you present it as an optimization tool, then uh, you open the door to some reasoning like, well, my game doesn't need this kind of power. I'm doing a puzzle game. So why should I use ECS? No, I'm saying that's not the point. ECS will let you write better code, not faster code. Faster code is a consequence. That's interesting. I mean, eventually, I pushed the Svelte CS2 as fast as it can be in C-sharp, which is even faster if you use Unity Burst, of course. I spent a long time to make Svelte CS Burst compatible because Burst works only with native memory. So I had to create a system that would work with whatever platform because Svelte doesn't work only with Unity. and where native memory was involved as well. So performance-wise is the best you can get. But again, it's not my, it was not my goal. Our games in Freejam, by the way, I don't think we ever mentioned Freejam so far. It's the company I worked, I worked with. <laughs> uh, right. we, we mentioned Robocraft. But like Robocraft, the games we made after Robocraft, they do have a lot of entities. So we... Our games are user-generated content-based games, and it's like a sort of like Minecraft where you build with blocks. But our buildings are not static; they are completely physically simulated. In fact, most of the time, people build vehicles, and there we are talking about thousands of blocks, thousands of rigid bodies. In that case, ECS in general helps a lot. Burst. Fantastic, it's a miracle, right? Then we use uh, 
uh, dot havoc, uh, which is very quick uh, as well. So we don't even need to do in Rob with Robocraft. It was not so advanced. We had to do some tricks to make everything work together. In fact, it's not as good as our new products, which are most much more realistic, much many more cubes, blocks, shapes to to put your vehicle together. And that's all thanks to that the data-oriented design of ECSIF. To in that case, it's obvious, right? But again, one of the things that we proved is that our code is easy to refactor, easy to maintain. We recently pivot from uh, Gamecraft to tech blocks, uh, where Gamecraft was a game ba- where the user, it was basically a game maker. That's why it was called Gamecraft. But then we realized that that audience for game makers is too small, it's too niche. Many of the users were having fun creating vehicles. So we moved uh, to TechBlocks, which is closer to Robocraft, and we are using the, the same code base of Gangcraft. Moving from one to the other, even if there are some fundamental changes, uh, has been uh, as straightforward as it can be. Plus, in our team, we have just five programmers. There's a lot of work that we can keep it lean. Uh, thanks to ECS. If in uh, Robo- uh, Robocraft, I uh, have to be honest with you, Robocraft was not ECS. Robocraft, uh, Gamecraft, uh, tech blocks are 100% ECS. Everything is made with ECS. There are some places that can be improved for sure. Not all the code base is perfect. Uh, it's far from it. Every time I, I do a review, I, tr- I find something I don't like. Right. But I, I can feel that everything is under control. In Robocraft, at a given point, I actually was relieved that uh, we were not working anymore <laughs> on that code base because the, the, the technical debt was too huge. It was impossible to recover. But the mistake there uh, was the fact that uh, the first three years of development were basically object-oriented using dependency injection container. The dependency injection container tool made so much damage in the code base it was really hard to get uh, out from there. My strategy was actually to step by step move from the IOC container to ECS, but then eventually uh, we stopped because we stopped developing robots. When it was, I started the new game, I said, okay, do not touch object-oriented programming at all. Actually, let's do a step further. Let's prove our my theory. Uh, let's see if we actually can make a game 100% ECS. And now, the problem about making a game 100% ECS is that you are not working with these ECS engines. You are not working with ECS libraries. Uh, Unity, okay, let's talk about dots in a bit. Mm-hmm. But Unity fundamentally is based, is object-oriented programming, right? So when you have to uh, you you have to interface ECS to object-oriented program, it is always so. And I wrote a lot about it. My last article is actually how to interface an ECS-centric application uh, with object-oriented programming. I call it uh, object-oriented abstraction layer, where 
the user is not directly in touch with the objects, but there is a pattern to solve the communication between entities and objects. But it would be always awkward, right? So, for example, we struggled, and we are still struggling uh, with the GUI, not because CS cannot be applied to GUI, but because we have to somehow interface entities uh, with the game objects. In GameCraft, we basically do not use game objects. Tech blocks, we don't use game objects. We use game objects only for GUI. You mean the Unity UI? The Unity UI, yes. And with the Unity UI, it's all game object based. And since we don't have another way to render the GUI, we need to use game objects. I interface those game objects with CS is something that I'm still studying because I think that's the ultimate challenge, right? But if I had an ECS-based GUI framework, I would not have had any trouble at all. My problem is not ECS. Right. My problem is making CS work with the game objects, the object-oriented programming. It's, and a GUI framework can, of course, be made with ECS. The problem is not... Uh, the pattern or the paradigm we will discuss this later. Yeah, sorry. Could could we just take a step back and uh, because I'm I'm curious of why uh, when what brought you the motivation of uh, actually making Svelte ECS specifically? Was there not any other ECS framework or anything else uh, existing at that time? And also, why going open source? Okay, good questions. Uh, back in the days, I think there was just entit- Entitas, which I tried. Okay, I, I am in touch actually with the, 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 the developer who, who made Entitas, so I don't want to offend him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I didn't like it. It did not click for me. It, 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 it looked too over-engineered, and uh, I wanted simplicity. I want as simple as possible. So that's why I started to write my own. I don't think there was an alternative to Entitas back in the days. Uh, then, of course, after Unity announced the dots, everybody started to write ECS uh, uh, frameworks. And now I think we have more ECS frameworks than actually games made with ECS. So it's a little bit awkward, the situation right now. Because everybody <laughs> has, has his own idea of ECS. I think I'm unique just in that sense that I don't see CS as a data-oriented tool. I see CS as a better code design tool. So I develop Svelte around this idea. But again, it's, it's not about right or wrong. I will not dare to say that other developers are wrong. It just the approach is different. However, for DOTS specifically, I have more to say, but we can discuss this in a bit if you ask it. Uh, regarding the open source, well, the open source, it's, I mean, uh, there are several reasons. Okay, let's start from the fact that uh, I developed Svelto ECS in my spare on time, not on company time. I actually started to develop Svelto even before we start to apply in our games, because at, at the beginning it was just an experiment. So that's, was, that's the first uh, uh, reason why I decided to give a license that was not uh, tied to anything legally, right? Then the second reason is because I always been a fan of sharing knowledge. Always. I never really cared about money. But I always had this uh, thing about sharing what 
Because sharing, sorry, because sharing is also about, it's even for myself, because once I share, I can get other people's feedback. So it's even more useful for myself uh, in such a way I can have other point of view regarding what I develop or what I'm saying. No? And then eventually, but then that's not part of it. I can tell you, it's a lie. I was looking for somebody to help for a community, but really, in reality, I did not care. Even now, the community is uh, very small because I don't push it too much. Uh, that's not my target. And that's not my goal. But it's very interesting. Over the years, a lot of people came, uh, tried Svelte, and then left in, after a few weeks or a few months, depends on the case. But everybody gave me some input, which is what I was actually looking for to improve the, the framework, which evolved a lot over the years. So now we are Sverto 3. I hope I will never get to Sverto 4, but in reality, my to-do list is still big. And now the problem is that I really don't like it to be stuck with one project only. I really would like to wrap it up. But I have to say that to-do list is not growing. So that's a, 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 at least is a, a good thing. I just have to find the time to finish what I have in mind. And then I think it will be done. There isn't much really to add to it. That answers your question, I think. Yes. And so another thing I was wondering is like, how did you convince your teammates at FreeJam that we should use ECS? Like, I'm not sure what's the profile of the other, uh, of your colleagues, but... Like, did they understood what was, uh, what you were trying to, what the changes were you were trying to push for? Yeah, I think experimenting it with Robocraft, the, I think in the last year of Robocraft development was more focused on ECS. So that the year of experimenting let the people see the benefits, made the people see the benefits of ECS. So it was easier to convince them at the point. Another reason why it was easy, that's it's fun. It's, it's, people understood it immediately. So the fact that it is closer to procedural programming make it, makes it simpler to, to understand, to get it. It's more right. natural. So the fact that they were getting it immediately just lowered the so so there are I know why you're asking that right but I think uh, the people that uh, put obstacles to the adoption of ECS are people with prejudice they're not people that really know ECS or there are people that experimented in the wrong way with ECS because I also saw people misusing and misunderstanding ECS and when you started to misuse or misunderstanding ECS, you, you see only the wrong side of it. There are people even that ask the wrong questions about ECS or try to adapt ECS uh, to problems that are not really uh, for ECS. So uh, when I say that we are making 100% ECS uh, uh, games, in reality, because we are using also object-oriented, it's better, say, that they are ECS-centric application. But I am in favor of multi-paradigm because in reality, there are some problems that are not made for ECS. So with my theory of the abstraction layer, 
you can interface ACS with uh, any other kind of paradigm, as long as there is a synchronization point between uh, the entities and, uh, let's say, the other library written with other uh, paradigms. When it's better to use other paradigms, let's use other paradigms. I recently, uh, you know, used, I had a look at uh, the dots, Unity dots uh, animation system, and uh, they wrote, they implemented this package called, uh, I think, a data graph flow, if I remember correctly. It's not ECS. It's, uh, I'm not sure if it's, I think it's more object oriented, but it's actually more procedural with a lot of data structures, custom data structures to solve all the problems linked to hierarchical transformations, you know, for the rigs, animation, bonds, and also for those spatial subdivisions. So even dots, they're using packages that are written not in CS to solve problems that are better to be solved with other paradigms. So when there are people, they say, ah, let's not, we should not use this ECS because ECS is not good to make a, a, transform, a hierarchical transformation. I say, well, I mean, I don't know if you're doing this maliciously, <laughs> just <laughs> to uncover the, the worst part of ECS, but you, you do not understand the point. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you do not use CS to try to, to force it to solve very specific problems. That's not the point. Use CS to, to write better code in general. But then if I, one, two systems that are very specialized needed to interface with other libraries that use other paradigms, do that. But in fact, the parallel with the C++ is obvious. If you read around, Everybody that knows what they are talking about says that the, who uses C++ doesn't use object-oriented programming. In reality, C++ is a multi-paradigm language. It's not pure object-oriented programming. And people may think they are working with object-oriented programming, but in reality, they are mixing a lot of paradigms, including procedural, when they use uh, custom data structures, uh, pointers, things like that, it's not object-oriented program. So they're already, sol they already solving specific problems uh, with uh, paradigms that is not the one they think they're using. So it's the same with the CS. I often see, uh, I often seen people in discussions of people that are used to work with uh, object-oriented programming or even maybe some procedural uh, programming. They are trying to reuse the same thing in ECS. So they, when they try ECS, they just want to do the same thing. And one example I had in mind is like, uh, we at our company, we sometimes we use a state machine to do some basic AI, right? And the first thing you want to do, maybe sometimes with ECS is like, oh, I'm used to use this thing. Oh, how, how I do this thing in ECS. Do you think it, this is the proper way? What, what is your uh, point of view on that? That's similar to what I said before. The people try to adapt ECS for things that ECS has not made for. I don't know if you are specifically asking about the state machines. I remember the state machine was a really beautiful pattern to solve not AI problems, but to solve a lot of problems linked to states, even a GUIs, right? Yes. That depends by the implementation of the CS framework. For example, in Svert CS, it's simpler 
to do state machines, even if there isn't a, a state machine dedicated concept. Some other frameworks may introduce the state machine dedicated concept. It may not be that necessary to do so because entities that change their own state is part of the CS. I mean, it's fundamental for an entity to be able to change their own state. And with Svelto, you are able to react on state changes. So you can know in which state it was before, which state is now. So you can do sort of transition between the states as well. The only thing uh, you cannot do at the moment in Svelto without, uh, I mean, easily, is to prevent a change of state. One thing that was uh, powerful in the state machine is that you can never end up in a state from a state that was not compatible with the state. So that was actually was actually helpful to avoid uh, some uh, uh, impossible states. Now, it depends a lot about the application you are working uh, on. In our games, uh, we really we did not really need that, so I did not experiment so much under the point uh, of view. I, however, what I can tell you is all the problems we ever had, ever, have always been solved. So that's what makes me think that in reality with ECS, you can solve much more problems than one can think at glance. It's just that you have to put yourself in a different point of view to solve the kind of problem. You cannot solve in ECS a problem thinking to solve it in the same way you solve the object-oriented programming. I, I know that you defend the theory that ECS is not just a framework or, or something... A pattern. People call it a pattern. A yeah. pattern. Right. You are more defending the theory that uh, it's, a, it's more like a, a programming paradigm, right? So if it is a programming paradigm, then do you think we could build a totally new languages just dedicated to ECS? There are people that are trying to do CS languages, but it's a, an academic exercise. It's just to prove a point. I don't think the real, the re, there is really a necessity to have an ECS language. Also, because as we said, many modern languages nowadays are anyway already multi paradigm. So I can already use ECS with a language that allows to use multiple paradigms. Then the fact that I uh, push the hypothesis, I don't know, my thinking that uh, CS is a paradigm. Many people do not, and there are people that agree with it, and the people that don't, I don't know. It's, uh, the point is it's very subjective, in my opinion. The problem is that the concept of paradigm has not been formalized properly uh, under the point of view of uh, code, under the code point of view, because there are many people who will uh, mention Khan or whatever is pronounced, kind of the, philosopher, the American philosopher, who introduced the concept of paradigm. But, uh, okay, yes, I actually agree that coding is a sort of philosophy and everybody has his own philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think you can really draw this parallel because if you follow that uh, definition of paradigm, then object-oriented programming is not a paradigm because it's not something so fundamentally different than uh, procedural language, even before imperative programming. Imperative programming is the paradigm 
but not uh, auditory in the program. If you see other point of view, so if you see it on that point of view, nothing is a paradigm. <laughs> we can say CSA is not a paradigm. <laughs> the, the way I see paradigm fundamentally is the way you see the problem and the way uh, you solve the problem. In the moment, your point of view radically changes, your way of thinking radically changes in such a way that it would be even difficult to go back and thinking in another way. So fundamentally, if you ask me to solve problem with object-oriented programming today, I will have serious difficulties because my mind is completely CS now. I see problem, I solve problem in terms of entities, not in terms of objects. In terms of behavior that are uh, executed by systems, uh, the concept of putting behaviors in objects is, it became alien to me. So in the moment your mentality completely changes, it proves it's a paradigm because you are seeing reality in a different point uh, of you, you try to model the reality of the problems with completely not just concept, because it's concept it would be too simple. It's really your mentality that shaped in a different way. You see things in a different way. When I moved from procedural C to object-oriented programming C++, in reality I was already doing object-oriented programming in C because my mind was already evolving. I was, uh, in, in, with procedural programming, it was really, I don't remember it very well, but uh, it was really hard to make your project more complicated than a given level because it was hard to separate data. I mean, uh, procedural programming was basically the main loop where you, have, you had function where you pass it inside arrays with the explosion of the complexity of the project, it was very hard to keep everything under control. So one of the first things I used to do was to start to have abstract data types where abstract did not have just the data, but even pointers to function to apply behaviors on the data. So that was already object-oriented programming. It's just that I never used C++ before. So when somebody uh, told me, but look, this is what classes are about, then I moved to, for me, it was very simple to move to C++ because I, I was already thinking in that way. I did not need to learn how to solve problems in C++ because I was already looking for, for C++. I just did not know it was, it was that C++ was that about. So... In learning the concept like classes and things like that uh, was simple. When I did the reasoning, I explained to you at the beginning with dependency injection and version of control. I was already looking for ECS, I just I did not know it was ECS. So when I moved to ECS, for me it was very simple, but my mentality was already ECS. So in this sense, for me, the paradigm is not about how you write code is it's about how you see how you see the problem and how you solve them. This is really a, a shift to do when uh, someone wants to tackle ECS. It's really not like object-oriented programming, and it's really not doing uh, in Unity, not using game objects and such. You really need to switch. Like like I just said earlier, I mentioned the the finished machine trying to find a way of applying that in ECS. I I, I don't think this is the proper way of 
mental shift is, is it means that you're not still in the ECS. You didn't still did, did the ECS shift, right? So I think it's something that's maybe scared some people also from that. So ECS, the, the requirement of being able to handle ECS to have this uh, work to do, right? This mental shift to do, do you think it is one of the, the factors that is slowing down the adoption of ECS to nowadays? Absolutely, yes, oh, of course. Sometimes, let's say. Some people come back to me through the comments on the blog or through Discord channel or Twitter, whatever. They tell me, ah, wow, your articles expressed exactly what I had in my, in my mind, but I did, not, I did not know how to express it. I already saw the problem, but I could not see the solution. And what you write in your articles resonated in me because I already met the problem you're trying to explain. So it's a matter of uh, experience. If you do not see the problem yet, you will not accept a new solution because you are good with the solution you've got so far. Right, right. You're right. The people, there are few people that uh, understood the limits of object-oriented programming and they are trying to find solutions. And then when I, they read my article, my articles, they, they say, oh, well, that's, that's the problem, right? I'm not saying ACS is the answer. The problem about ACS is I will not do a desktop application that all it does is to interface with a database uh, with ACS. I mean, there is no point. So where do you use ACS? I mean, uh, it's game development. Again, uh, there are applications that uh, can be suitable for data-oriented pro uh, programming, but that's not really ACS. Data-oriented programming, you can do data-oriented programming without ACS. So if you have to do financial application where there are a huge volume of transition transaction to to show i don't know that that's that oriented for sure because they need a lot of power it doesn't need to be cs so where do you <laughs> use cs <laughs> i think cs is just for games but why because games are the uh, most complicated ever possible project at least i know of that you can develop because there are so many areas uh, that uh, clash together, uh, uh, that comes from every kind of discipline, mathematical, physics, uh, again, system databases, uh, computer science in general. Probably, exactly, computer science in general. It's how computer science can be in one project, plus more problems uh, due to the fact that game designers are sometimes crazy, right? <laughs> and they come up with fantastic uh, solutions that you have to put in... Uh, you have to solve in code. So, uh, yeah, I think ACS helps in the, in the sense, but I think it's very a uh, game developer thing. And what do you think of the future of ACS? Do you, do you think we will see more and more adoption or what, what, what's your feeling? Honestly, I don't care. Because <laughs> 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 I've, <been laughs> I've been fighting about this for a long time. So to be honest, uh, I don't care much. Because again, it's all related to the people understanding the problem. If the people do not understand the problem, you can try to explain it as much as you want. They will never get it in reality. Or they get an idea of it, but they don't understand why they should follow it. Okay, so I don't know if it's going to be adopted more. One answer to your question is that Adam Martin formalized this 14 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's almost the time that a paradigm, to be a paradigm, takes for the shift. 
Because if one of the things you read about the formal definition of paradigm is it takes, it's not a paradigm if it doesn't take at least 15 years for the shift. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, let's make it a rule. <laughs> so, I mean, a paradigm, the shift of the paradigm may never happen. So, there is nobody, there is nowhere that is written that the paradigm, a shift of the paradigm will never happen, actually. Trying to convince to people to use this, yes, I don't think it's a, 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 good, to, a good way to spend uh, your time. That's why I find it interesting, uh, in my opinion, when people write about ECS uh, and the code design point of view, and not the other things we are all uh, aware about. But really, I, d- I don't think I have seen anybody else than me so far approaching ECS under this point of view, I think uh, until we don't do that, it's always the same story over and over, written by people that uh, see ECS for the first time and use it uh, in the classic way to solve the classic problem of optimization. In your opinion, ECS is not just, uh, like you said, it's not just an op- optimization tool or it's not just a framework, it's, it's a new paradigm. No, not at all. I think it's the answer, the answer of many, of many, yeah. Right. In that sense, it doesn't mean also that it should be just used in one type of game. It could be used, as you said, like a game as a service, maybe like as, as Gamecraft or your new game, or it could just be also used just for a puzzle game, right? Yeah, yes, absolutely, yes. Okay. I mean, there is a steep learning curve, but the steep learning curve is due to the fact uh, that you have to interface ACS uh, uh, with uh, object-oriented programming libraries to solve the problem. So in this sense, I admire what uh, Unity is doing. Because in the moment, Unity will be fully ECS, completely ECS. It will be much simpler to develop an ECS game, even with a library like Svelte. Because in the, what, that's what we do. We don't use dots. We use dots only for havoc. So, and for us, it's much, much, much simpler to interface ECS to havoc than ECS to game objects. So in the moment, uh, Unity will be completely dots. Many of the current problems due to the, the interface will not be there anymore. So, the current problem about the adoption of CSA is also this, actually, the fact that you are forced to use not ECS tools. Although, on the other way around, that's a little bit paradoxical, if you instead want to write everything from scratch in ECS, then you have to face the problem that ECS is not optimal to solve all the kind of problems. And then you may end up with uh, a solution like dots uh, found for the hierarchical transformation and things like that. But I I can tell you, I think this kind of problems, this ECS is not optimal. They're not many. They're very specialized as well. In any case, uh, I don't think, personally, I don't think ECS is really about engine-level code. And for me, it's more about uh, game logic code. Uh, just uh, just a last note. Uh, uh, that's also why, personally, I don't think it's, uh, I, I'm not saying it's true, but personally, it's the reason why I don't like dots very much. It's because to me, from what I've seen so far, dots has been designed to move an engine from object-oriented programming to ECS. Dots are, has not been really designed around game development. 
is was being designed around engine development. That's for me is the reason why some people find the dots hard to use. But of course, so Unity is working with many game studios and they are gathering a lot of feedback from those studios. I don't think it's as good as using it in first uh, first person, like you're using it yourself. Right? Getting feedback is not as good as touching the problem yourself. But .CCS anyway improved a lot over the time. It just, of course, I developed Sverto. So when I have a problem with Sverto, I know exactly where to look at. But if I have a problem with dots, it's costly. It's quite costly. Right. I wanted to make the parallel on the backend side of the things because here we're discussing front end, right, with Unity and such. So in the backend, nowadays there's backends that are made with microservices and for each of these services, maybe we're using different technologies because we use what is best with this a problem we're trying to solve, right? So maybe at some point we will use Python because it's best with AI. Maybe somewhere else we'll use Golang because it's, it works great. Maybe somewhere else we'll use JavaScript, whatever. So do you think it also kind of makes sense to kind of mix up things also in the front end? So maybe some place we have ACS, some other place we have game object uh, oriented programming. And would you think this is kind of a, a good parallel you're talking about client programming, front-end, you mean client. Because, yeah, in the front-end, like you you said, ECS maybe doesn't work everywhere. Yeah, you already know the answer, yeah. So uh, our cases are a little bit exceptional because besides the interface we have with the libraries, we do not meet a problem yet that cannot be solved with ECS in our games. But our games are our games. Another kind of, I mean, uh, for example, I don't know, first person shooter, a shooter doesn't really, I mean, there are very few entities uh, that if you get a classic uh, first person shooter where there is the main character, few MCs, and it's a little bit hard to think that this is, is a solution. But again, I always write in my articles, that even if the system uh, needs to handle just one entity, it's not more work than write the same code with an object. So that's, uh, that, that's uh, fine. The, the, the awkward part is not about uh, the entities, but uh, the number of entities to handle. But it's about uh, if you have to, you find this kind of problems that we haven't met yet. But I think we haven't met yet uh, due to our kind of games. I guess some, a game that's Actually, I'm not even sure about that because I know there is a game it's called the Seed MMO, which is, uh, there is a lot of AI going on there. And it's all, that game is also fully CS written, as far as I know. And they use the utility AI approach, which is, as far as I understood, is quite data-oriented uh, friendly. So I think it's it's uh, it's hard to, to define where ECS doesn't fit anymore. But if it doesn't fit, yes, go with the multi-paradigm. I did it, and I, I always write it. Uh, multi-paradigm is not a problem. The problem is, if you mix ECS with object-oriented programming or other paradigms wildly, it's going to fail. If you give the opportunity without no rules for your uh, colleague to use object-oriented programming whenever they want, uh, the project is going to fail. Maybe that's what you were asking. 
I don't know who listened this podcast or whatever should read my article about the object-oriented programming abstraction layer in ECS. Because the, the trick is, okay, you can use all the paradigms you want, but they must be black-boxed, hidden from the coder. The coder must always use ECS first. It's an ECS-centric application. It's the entity that will interface with the object-oriented abstraction layer. It's not the coder that will choose randomly to use object-oriented programming. Because in the moment you do that, it will be just a mess. It will be just a mess. Why? Because it will be a mess for those people who are still getting in the ECS mentality. In the moment you give the opportunity to fall back to what they're used to, they they will never be able to adapt to ECS because they will just use what is less difficult for them to use. So they will pretend to use ECS, but the result in reality is a a bastard result. Whether you mix, maybe if you, I don't know if you ever use a dots hybrid, dots hybrid, I did not like the approach because uh, at least as far as I remember, it would have let you to use game ob- uh, sorry, objects, methods directly. By the moment you use object methods directly, and what do you do is just to use objects and put the logic in the methods. And people who are used to do that, instead of putting the logic in the systems, they will write more and more objects because they are used of that. So you should not even give the opportunity to do, to do these kind of things because in the moment you give, you give the opportunity, then you as a leader or whoever is in control of the quality of the code must put rules. By the moment you put verbal rules, those will be broken 100%. Especially if you work in a team that works under pressure, deadlines, producers who don't understand very well the concept of technical debt. And then what happens is the coder needs to, to finish the, the task as soon as possible. It will fall back to the worst case scenario. Maybe start even to use singletons to solve the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so it's very important. That's how I designed Sverto, actually. The framework is rigid in the sense. It should not allow you to do So in Sverto, if you want to use object-oriented programming, you have to use a special and specific pattern that actually hides the, the paradigm completely from the normal coder. But if you were asking, uh, mixing paradigms at this level is wrong. You should not mix paradigms randomly. You should give us very specific rules. Right, right. What we see with the microservices architecture is that there are different parts of applications that can communicate well because there is there is a protocol in place, right? And yes, everything is laid down. There's APIs. There's uh, things that are properly defined. This is not something we see in front end because generally we just have one code base one language one paradigm right but here with ecs if someone tries unity dots it will have to use multiple paradigms because of how unity dots is made so this is where we don't see yet maybe how we can mix multiple paradigms in one application on the front end because we don't have this this communication protocol or this layer protocol that makes the switch between them. And you've 
propose something with your pattern, right? Yes, I mean, uh, to keep it simple, to put it simple, maybe the point is if even if you use an API that, that is not object-oriented, let's say it's a procedural API with just a function called RESTful, the data always come from the entity components, right? But the, the other point is that only very specialized systems that might be are hidden in different DLL and different assemblies, as if we talk about C-sharp. Mm-hmm have the responsibility to use the CPI. So the trick is you cannot let the API to, to be used everywhere, wildly. It must be always abstracted to a specific layer that has the responsibility to use the API. Again, it's more than verbal rules, because if it's just verbal rules, they don't work. It's the way you architecture your project. For example, we use a ton of assemblies. We use C-sharp, but it's a ton of assemblies. Every assembly in our project as its own specific responsibility. These assemblies are made theoretical in such a way that you actually can compose them. So if I comment out just one line that is the call of the composition of that assembly with the specific responsibilities, the game will keep on working. It's just that the behavior will disappear. So in the same, with the same logic, you, you compose these assemblies with these responsibilities. You can have an assembly with the responsibility to access to external services, to external database, to another layer, to another paradigm. But it's in, it's in that assembly. So uh, do you also include things like, you, you mentioned you guys are using dots, dots .avoc. So like a physics engine, like physics library, sorry. Is it... It is a, some kind of a yeah, black box, right? We don't want to be able to do everything with it because we could mess with the simulation. So it's it's a bit of the same thing you mean? Well, yes, except for the fact that uh, since we use SVERT2ACS, we actually practically don't have access to the DOTS entities because the DOTS system are encapsulated in that assembly. So literally, you cannot access the, the dots entities. Mm. What happens is that there is a, a system in the dots abstraction layer that synchronizes Svelto entities with the dots entities. So this layer has the responsibility to fetch all the Svelto entities, a copy, for example, the rotation and position to the Havoc entities. That's al- that allows us to black box, even the dots entities. Nobody knows about them. And any time I can take that assembly and swap it with the implementation of another physics engine, FSX, game objects, I don't care, because they are black boxed in that layer. And they all react properly when entities are created as long that, that well, one point maybe it's not clear because it's implementation detail although it's part of the theory that I write in my articles, is that these layers, which I call abstraction layer, they must also provide the component that the entity must use to be compatible with the layer. So let's say there is a a dots physics component that is provided by this uh, layer. You compose the the assembly, which enables the system to fetch the physics component, the dots physics component, in the in whatever moment you create an entity that does that component will be automatically fetched by the dots layer. And it will start to, to sync, process, and everything. 
if you have another implementation, uh, the deal, uh, of course, in the way I explained it, is that your entity cannot use uh, the component provided by the first implementation. You have to switch with the component provided by the second implementation. May have the same name, the same interface, so although there is the namespace issue. Anyway, it's the way you compose the entities that change the behavior, enables the behaviors. And the behaviors are provided by these assemblies. I don't know if you know, but the, the, the game from Blizzard, the game Overwatch, they made their game with ECS. Yeah. So in some of their talks, they are mentioning uh, side effects from ECS. So when you, are, you have data from the components that are processed by several systems, right? Maybe sometimes there are some side effects, which is that you're not sure what is going on because one system made something and then the other one just overrides something else on top of this data. How do you deal with that yourself? How do you detect the side effects and how do you control them? Essentially, it will be debugging eventually. You see there is some there is a bug from the UI, you have to understand what's going on. I mean, I think this is true with object-oriented programming as well. It's not like at once you can always understand what's going on. Most of the times you can. Sometimes you have to investigate, there is nothing to do. But regarding what you say, it depends if uh, order of execution of the systems is important or not as well. I mean, it probably doesn't matter much, to be honest with you, regarding exactly what you're saying, because if you cannot recognize at once what's going on, or you have to investigate it. I don't think it's a problem with this CS. It would happen with any paradigm. It's uh, what uh, the imperative uh, programming about instruction being executed one after the other is about. <laughs> I did not like the video for other reasons. I may have misunderstood it. Uh, forgive me if I misunderstood it because it was a long time ago. I watched it. But if I understood correctly, they were using objects. The components were objects in that implementation. It was an old DCS kind style, if I understood correctly. They were not using structs. So when you use objects, and you can share the objects through a reference, you open doors to more problems. With structs, the only source of truth is your database. But in the moment you use objects, people can start to have a stateful system where they hold the object. And then uh, they become a mess. You don't know anymore what's going on. What's, what about your, your current projects and, and, and any future projects? So uh, you mentioned you have a big to-do list on, on Svelto ECS. Uh, anything else? Yeah, work side. So professionally, I'm working on tech blocks, which uses uh, uh, the latest version of, of Svelto. And uh, we hope to be as success, at least as successful as Robocraft this, this time. I think there are... Uh, there is a good chance uh, because I uh, actually like this new, new project. Regarding Svelto, yes, I have a lot of uh, uh, ideas because I see some areas that can be improved. That really depends by the time I have at disposal. And uh, for this reason, it would be, of course, uh, uh, very good if somebody uh, could help me. So far, only two or three people in uh, six years 
really, really helped me. The other ones were just uh, feedback uh, from 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 users. Uh, yeah, of course, it's like all the open source project. Without a community, it's very hard to uh, progress. Without an active community that actually develop the the, the project, but. Uh, I think it's my pet project anyway, which I use also coincidentally for my professional work. So I will keep on using it as long as I can use it professionally at least. Because if I don't have a professional project to actually verify my theories, then I would not know anymore if I'm right or, or not. So at the point it would be probably useless to keep on developing Svelte. Right. And I think... Uh... People can see in GameCraft at least uh, that it is working. And when is your new project going out? I think we are going to release the first demo. It's not even an MVP. It's like a demo uh, next week. Oh, cool. Our team, uh, our company works in this way where uh, we release without any promotion to the small or initial audience, our titles to get to start to gather the first feedbacks. So at the beginning, it will be just distributed from through the website, which probably nobody will know because about because we are not promoting it, obviously. And it just promoted uh, through our Discord channel, the project Discord channel, TechBlocks server. Uh, and then from that, uh, we iterate and uh, we evolve. But I think uh, the first proper MVP, I mean, there is all the multiplayer part that we have to finish. So I think it would be between four or six months from now. Okay. All right. It was great to discuss with you. A lot of knowledge shared. Maybe just one, one last question. Like, as a game developer, what's your favorite game? Or what's your favorite type of game? Oh, okay. Yes. I do not to have uh, favorite games I can, I mean, uh, I probably do, I just, my memory is very short. But my last, uh, the last game I really enjoyed playing was uh, Dragon Quest XI. So I stopped play, playing for a long time. I, I stopped playing like for five years because I don't have the time. But then the Game Pass on Xbox happened and Game Pass made me start to play again. The last game I played was Dragon Quest XI, which I really enjoyed. It was, I think it was very, very well-balanced to be a Japanese RPG. Right. So maybe you like RPG. Uh, again, I, I don't like sports games, but if they're not sports games, I probably like everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> What do you think of the Game Pass? Do you think uh, this, this is like a... The future of gaming, everything will be uh, under a Game Pass, if not... I don't, I don't know if it's the future. Microsoft is doing a, a fantastic job. I'm, I mean, even if... I, I'm not talking because Robocraft was a given point on Game Pass. They have been really generous with us. Uh, the deal to put Robocraft on, on, uh, on Game Pass was exceptional. And it lasted uh, just one year. And we had a very good experience with the developing team, people we've been in touch with, from business to tech. There's always been a great, a great experience. That's where I start to use Game Pass, actually. But now I'm addicted. So it's, it's just it's too good. It's too good for the price I pay, which is not even the official one, because 
there are so many deals around that you don't even need to pay what they ask uh, for. So it's basically playing for free almost. <laughs> I don't know, a lot of money. <laughs> awesome, awesome. All right, thank you for your time today. It was, uh, it was a pleasure to discuss with you. Yes, thank you very much for uh, the opportunity. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey.